Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Shouldn't take us by surprise. Life is going to have storms. It's going to have difficulties. But then he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that is why this morning we can sing with victory, it is well with my soul. Do you believe it this morning? If you have a Bible today, you can go ahead and grab it and find a seat. Thank you so much for being here today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Esther. Esther chapter number four. is where we're going to be. And uh, we have been in a series that we have been calling, Where is God? And so often when we look around our world and the chaos and all of the uncertainties, we wonder, where is God? And what is he doing? But often it's when we feel as though God is absent, that he is busy working behind the scenes and he is always active. And when we're studying the book of Esther, it's interesting because God is not mentioned in the book of Esther one time. And uh, we see him constantly, though, working and acting behind the scenes. And uh, this week we're going to be in Esther chapter number four. And I'd like to bring a message today that I'm calling Timing is Everything. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, Timing is Everything. Look to your second choice and say, Timing is Everything. Timing is Everything. Esther chapter number four. If you're ready to dive into God's word today, would you say amen? amen? Esther chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her, and then was the queen exceedingly grieved. Everybody say grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take him away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened unto him and, and uh and uh, of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. And he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king and to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther, 
the words of Mordecai. And again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, uh, saying, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And so Esther says, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do, Mordecai. I can't go into the presence of the king. And they told Mordecai, verse 12, Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not uh, with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house for more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Everybody say another place. And I would just remember those words as we progress uh, through this passage together, that there was another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as, as this. Timing is everything. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to uh, worship you this morning. Lord, thank you for the songs that were sung and the spirit in which they were sung and for the truth that, that were contained in the lyrics that we declare today. And God, I pray that for the next few minutes you will... Uh, uh, show us exactly what it is that you would have for us in your word today. And uh, God, I pray that we can be uh, encouraged in our time together. I'm, I'm praying that we can be challenged. I'm praying that our church family can rally together and leave this place differently. God, I pray that we can understand that even when we can't see you, that you are always working behind the scenes. And God, I pray that we would uh, continually trust that you are in control. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... My son, Luke, this year started to play t-ball, and it's been a lot of fun watching him play t-ball. It's been uh, the highlight of my week going in and watching uh, Luke play t-ball. It's been, it's been so much fun to watch him progress and kind of learn some of the fundamentals of, of t-ball. And, and uh, uh, the league that he's in and the age that he's in, they don't really uh, keep score at this age, and they don't really even uh, call outs. And so uh, there are some very high-scoring games, you know, no outs, and they're just kind of uh, running around and talking to each other, and just, they're just trying to learn the basics. And, and uh, uh, two games, uh, the, the last two games of the season, uh, the coaches decided to start uh, pitching to, uh, to the kids. Instead of hitting off the tee, they were kind of doing a little bit of coach pitch. And, and uh, what Luke is coming to learn that when it comes to uh, swinging a baseball bat, that timing is very important. And of course, you want to make sure that your foot, uh, footwork is right and you want to make sure that your grip is right and that you're looking in the ready position. But if, you're, if your timing is off, uh, it's going to be very frustrating. And, and uh, Luke's been working on his timing. And I thought it'd be very appropriate for us this morning uh, to watch a video of my son Luke hitting, hitting a baseball. Would that be okay with you this morning? So, so we have one today.
And that was Liv filming the video. So uh, timing is very important. And, and he's learning and he's progressing. And uh, he, he can hit that ball. And he's learning that timing is, is crucial. Timing is everything. There's an author. Uh, his name is, is Daniel Pinks. And he has this book that's called When. And uh, it's the science of perfect timing. And he talks about how timing is critical to our well-being in life. And he even goes on to give an example when it comes to our, our health. And he says this, that. Uh, when it comes to our healthcare, he says, uh, anesthesia errors are four times more likely at 3 p.m. than at 9 a.m. Uh, hand washing in hospitals drops considerably during the afternoon. Physicians are much more likely to prescribe unnecessary antibiotics. Endoscopists are less uh, thorough during colonoscopies in the afternoon. And so a little, little note to self, uh, schedule your doctor's appointments for early in the morning, right? And uh, he's saying, hey, timing is very important. And what we have to learn this morning is much of life is determined not by how we do something, but by when we do something. If we do something prematurely, that can be disastrous. If we wait too long and delay, that too can be disastrous. And so what we have to learn and, and understand is that timing is critical. Timing is extremely important. And the Bible has much to say about timing. The Bible has much to say about when uh, we do certain things. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 1 says, To everything there is a, a season. Everybody say a season. And there is a time to every purpose under the heaven. And so there is a season and a time for everything that has been uh, predetermined uh, by God Almighty. He has determined the times and seasons beforehand. And uh, the Bible tells us in Psalm 31, verse number 15, my times are in thy hand. And that is a declaration of faith, that my time and my season, the current moment that I'm in, is in your hand. And I just want to tell you this morning that, that God is behind all timing and that God is in control of all timing. And so uh, the job that you work at, you do not work at that job by accident. Uh, you are not in the neighborhood that you live in by accident. Uh, you are not here at the city library this morning by accident. Hey, God has a purpose and a time for every season. And so God is behind it all. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 16, redeeming the time uh, because the days are evil. And so we are to steward uh, the time that God has given us wisely. And we are to invest the time uh, that God has given us wisely. We come to Esther chapter number 4. And uh, this uh, passage is all about timing. And uh, this passage passage is crucial and critical. In fact, there's a very famous phrase, perhaps you have seen it on a coffee mug or maybe on a magnet or on a bookmark or something like that. It's really the theme of Esther, for such a time as this. And uh, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, says, hey, Esther, maybe you're brought into the palace and maybe God led you here for a reason. Maybe God brought you here for a purpose. Maybe maybe God has, has brought you to this place for such a time as this. And I just want to tell you this morning that wherever God has you, whatever season you're in, whatever moment you're in, God has a purpose in that moment. He has a plan for your season for such a time as, as this. And so God is orchestrating the details behind the scenes. His timing is perfect. And we have to understand that, that life is not simply how we do something, but when we do something, timing is critical. And so uh, we come to Esther chapter 4, and uh, we come to a crucial time in the narrative of Esther. And this is kind of the height of the narrative, and it kind of comes to uh, a head here in Esther chapter number 4. But before we get into Esther chapter 4, I thought it would be a little bit helpful if we kind of uh, did a little bit of review to kind of catch up where we are, to kind of know where we are in the narrative. Would that be all right a little bit? And so uh, what we're going to do is a little bit of previously on where is God. Okay, and in chapter number 1, we saw that there was a king named Xerxes or Ahasuerus. He was a wicked king, and uh, he uh, threw a six 
month-long party. And he was just kind of living it up, doing whatever he wanted to do. Uh, that party got out of control. People were drunk. He called in his wife, uh, Vashti, to uh, kind of participate in immoral acts. And Vashti, the queen, said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so King Xerxes, the most powerful man in the world, he banishes Vashti uh, from his, his presence. And so now there was a vacancy uh, to the throne. Then we come to chapter number two, and Xerxes kind of misses his wife, Vashti, and he, he misses the queen. And so what he decides to do is he uh, brings in uh, all the virgins from all 127 provinces that come before him, and he's going to choose a, a new queen. And throughout that whole process, God was working behind the scenes, and God placed Esther in that position, in that empty uh, vacancy, and God brought Esther to be the queen. We saw that in chapter number two. In chapter number three, we zeroed in on uh, Esther's cousin Mordecai, and uh, Mordecai was uh, not happy with a man named Haman, who was a wicked and evil man, and so Mordecai, he refused to show him honor. He refused to bow down in respect uh, to Haman, and because of that, Haman gets upset, and he orders a decree to destroy and to kill all of the Jews, and so uh, now uh, we are entering chapter number four, and, and, uh, and the people are mourning. The people are sad. This is devastating news uh, when we enter into chapter number four, and throughout all of this, we learn uh, some principles about timing, and we learn how we can redeem and maximize the time that God has given us. And so this morning, I want to give us four ways that we can redeem the time that God has given us. If you're taking notes, number one is this. Number one, develop a burden. If we're going to maximize the time that God has given us, we have to develop a burden. Notice verse number one. It says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes. And he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried with a loud and bitter cry. And so what we see here is now Mordecai has this great burden. Now Mordecai has this great burden. He was a Jew living in Persia. And he has this great burden because all of his people are about to be destroyed. All of his people are about to be killed, including himself. And so he has this, this great burden. And this really all happened because of Mordecai's decision to not bow in respect before Haman, which reminds us again and again that the equation when it comes to sin is my sin, our consequences. My sin, our consequences, the decisions that we make always have collateral damage. It always affects those people around us. And if that is true, then also the reverse is true. My obedience, our blessings. Uh, when I obey, it's going to positive, positively uh, affect those people around us. And so uh, my sin, our consequences, because of the decision of Mordecai, now uh, the entire Jewish population, millions of people, they are in danger uh, of death and pending death is upon them. And so uh, we see that Mordecai goes out. And he puts on sackcloth. And Danny, if you can come up here and, and help me with this. And so he is, he is mourning. He has a burden. He is weeping. Notice verse number two. It says, And he came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And so when someone was clothed uh, with this sackcloth, uh, you could not enter into the king's gate. Sackcloth was a sign of mourning. This morning I brought some sackcloth with me. And uh, sackcloth was a very uncomfortable uh, garment. And uh, Daniel, there's a little spot right there for your head if you want to put that on. I know that Daniel's always wanted to wear sackcloth. <coughs> All right, looks good. Oversized poncho, right? And 
Sackcloth was very uncomfortable, made out of goat's hair, and, and the idea for sackcloth was, uh, it was it was symbolic of mourning, and you were not comfortable in your, certain, in your situation, and so you would wear uh, sackcloth so everyone could see that you were mourning, that you had a burden, and it was very uncomfortable, very itchy. It's kind of like uh, if you've ever had a t-shirt that had a tag that was itchy and it always bothered you, and so you just kind of ripped the tag off. Well, sackcloth was like that, but all over your body, and so it was extremely uncomfortable. By the way, sin should make us uncomfortable. Far too often we are comfortable in sin and we are comfortable around and with sin. And whenever we are comfortable with sin, there is potential for great danger. And so uh, Mordecai wants to get uncomfortable. He didn't go home and he didn't put on a Snuggie and get comfortable and cry himself to sleep. No, he went out in public. He put on sackcloth and he wanted everyone to know that he had a very real burden in his heart. And he wanted the salvation uh, for his people. And so he gets uncomfortable. He puts on uh, this sackcloth. And notice what it says in verse number three. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so what was taking place all over Persia, they got this news that they were going to die. And so everyone is weeping. They're wailing. They're mourning. They're putting on sackcloth. They're getting uncomfortable. What they had was a burden. They were burdened about uh, what was taking place in their uh, population. They were burdened about uh, the need for deliverance and the need for salvation. And what we see with Mordecai and all the Jewish people was they had this great burden, this great need. Thank you, Daniel. This morning, the question that I want us to consider is, do we have a burden? Do we have a burden for those in need? Do we have a burden to see people saved? Uh, Several years ago... I was living in Oceanside, and uh, Katie and I, we just had our first daughter live, and uh, we kind of lived in an upstairs uh, condo unit, and uh, outside, uh, some of our neighbors were some kids and some teenagers, and they constantly uh, wanted to ride skateboards around our neighborhood, and they were uh, kind of always out there playing, and uh, everything was good, but sometimes we uh, would want to put Liv down for a nap, our daughter, and right when we would get her to sleep, they would be banging skateboards on our door and into our garage and, and uh, constantly waking us up, and I remember I would, I would get a little bit agitated at them and kind of irritated, like, can't they go ride their skateboard somewhere else and uh, can't they do this somewhere else I was kind of burdened and and bothered and uh, agitated at this but one day the Lord convicted me and he said maybe instead of being burdened by them you should be burdened for them and so I went down and I said okay I'm gonna invite these kids to church and I went down there was teenagers down there and I said hey I'm the youth pastor down the street and I want to invite you guys to our youth group and most of them said okay maybe and uh, they didn't come but there was one boy that came his name was Dylan he came the first night to youth group he accepted Christ as his savior he started coming week after week Uh, we got to share the gospel with his parents see what would happen if we stopped being so burdened by the people around us and started being burdened for the people around us I believe today that we ought to have a burden for our city we ought to have a burden for our neighbors we ought to have a burden over sin. We ought to have a burden for our country. Hey, do you have a burden this morning? Far too often we are comfortable in sin and we are comfortable with where we're at. But what we see with the Jews and what we see with Mordecai is they were overwhelmed by this burden. They said, man, we've got to do something. Up until now in the story of Esther, Mordecai has kept his faith private. He has kept his uh, nationality private. He has not told anyone. But now he is going out into the midst of the city. Now he's going out to the king's gate because he's got to do something. He can't stay quiet any longer. He's got to share his burden and let people know something needs to be done. And so now he has this, this burden this morning. I'm just saying we need a burden. We need to be burdened for our city. If we would stop being so comfortable and started getting uncomfortable for the Lord, what could God do in our midst? We've got to have a burden. Uh, a man a few years later, uh, one of Mordecai's uh, contemporaries following him was a man named Nehemiah. 
<coughs> Nehemiah, much like Mordecai, had a burden. In Nehemiah chapter number one and verse number four, and it came to pass when I heard these things that I sat down and I wept and I mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah heard that the city of Jerusalem was without walls and they were trying to bring back revival and they were rebuilding the temple. And, and uh, Nehemiah said, man, uh, somebody needs to go and rebuild these walls. And he had this burden that was, that was building up within him. See, we ought to have a burden that's bigger than our ego. We ought to have a burden that's bigger than our preferences. We ought to have a burden that's bigger than our situation. We ought to have a burden that, that, that is constantly convicting us to share our faith and to tell people about Jesus. We need to develop a burden. And then we see they have this burden. And in verse number four, uh, Esther kind of gets involved a little bit. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. Now, now remember, Mordecai was the cousin of Esther. Mordecai was the one uh, that helped raise Esther. Uh, Esther was an orphan. She did not have a mom or dad. And so Mordecai meant a lot to Esther. And, uh, and uh, they told it to her. And then the uh, queen was exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. And so uh, uh, what happens here is Esther finds out about this. And she says, I've got to do something. And uh, Mordecai is, is grieving. He's mourning. He's wearing sackcloth. I, I can't let him be wearing sackcloth. And so uh, what she does is kind of an odd thing. She just sends him a new outfit. She says, man, Mordecai, you are heartbroken. You are, man, this is, this is bad. You're mourning. You're weeping. You're wailing. Here's a men's warehouse gift card. It's kind of like, that, that's not going to happen. Mordecai re received it not. He said, no, I don't want it. And so what we learn here is a couple of things. Number one, we learned that Esther is trying to solve the wrong problem. She, she is dealing with a surface issue and not the source. See, what Mordecai needed was not a new outfit. What Mordecai needed was prayer and salvation for his people. And a lot of times when we are struggling, when we're going through a difficult season, we try to deal with the problem at the surface level when God is trying to get at a much deeper level uh, beneath, the service, at, beneath the surface at the source. And so uh, Esther is, is dealing with the wrong problem. But we also learned something else, and that is that Esther was unaware of the decree that was sent out. And it's interesting because here's Esther in all of her power as queen, and she doesn't even know that there is a decree that went out that was going to destroy all of her people. She was unaware, which I think is a helpful side note that we can't assume that the leaders in our life are in the know. A lot of times in business, we'll get mad at our boss because of something that's taking place, but he might not have all the information. In ministry, we might get upset at the pastor, but he might not have all the information. Here's Esther up in the palace, and uh, she has no idea about this decree of death that was hanging over her people. And so uh, Esther doesn't know. Notice verse number five. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains. And so what, what happens here is Esther's going to start communicating, and uh, she's going to start getting involved, and she's going to become quickly aware of the burden that is taking place. She's going to quickly herself become burdened for the decree uh, that is hanging over her people. And so this morning, if we are going to maximize the time that God has given us, number one, we've got to develop a burden. But here's the second thought this morning. If we are going to maximize and redeem the time that God has given us, we have to decide to take action. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen? And so we see a turning point in the book of Esther here in verse number five. Esther called for Hatak, who was one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment, okay? This word commandment is interesting because it's the first time in all of the book of Esther that Esther is actually giving an order. It's the first time that she ever tells someone to do something. 
And what happens is, is now there's a transition from Esther and Mordecai just kind of passively going on in the narrative to now they're actually taking action and they're actually doing something about their situation. What we see is that there is a trans- transition from uh, passivity to now activity. And what's happening is they're not just content to keep their faith private anymore. They're not content to just keep their nationality private anymore. Now they want to step up to the plate and they want to do something. I wonder this morning, in what area of your life are you being passive in that God would call you to take action? Maybe it's in your Bible reading. Maybe it's in your uh, sharing your faith. Or maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's some area of your life that you are being passive that God is saying, hey, you need to take action now. You need to uh, do something uh, about this situation. Here they are moving from uh, passivity to now activity. Uh, Edmund Burke, he said this, all that is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Many times we are guilty of sitting on the sidelines and we like to speculate and we like to commentate and we like to uh, dialogue, we like to debate, we like to discuss, but at some point we need to put words aside and we need to start doing something for the glory of God. Hey, whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Hey, at some point we've got to move from passivity onto activity and start doing something for the Lord. Hey, maybe it's time that you join uh, the worship team. Maybe it's time that you start leading a small group. Maybe it's time that you share your faith with a neighbor. Maybe it's time you forgive someone. Hey, whatever it is that that God is calling you to do, let me encourage you, do something for the glory of God. Decide to take action. The Bible says in Colossians 3.17, and whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And so it's one thing to acknowledge the promises of God. It's another thing to act on the promises of God. And so what we see throughout this entire narrative so far, Esther and Mordecai uh, haven't been doing so hot. They've been kind of just keeping uh, their faith private. They haven't really been standing up for their values, for what they believe. But now in chapter number four, there is a transition that's taking place. And Esther and Mordecai are starting to take action. They're starting to do something. Notice verse number six. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. So Hatak, this messenger, he's going to go out and he's going to deliver this message. Verse number seven. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. And so uh, Mordecai is telling uh, this messenger, this assistant of Esther, he's telling him everything that happened. And and, and he's including all of the details. He's even telling him how much uh, money, uh, the sum of money that Haman had promised to the king uh, 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 for this. And so he's including details. He's being precise. Notice the next verse. And he also gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, uh, next part of the verse, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that he should uh, go in unto the king, and to make supplication unto him, and to make requests uh, before him for her people. And so Mordecai is telling Hatak to tell Esther, hey, here's the decree, Uh, the Jews are going to die, we need you to go in and make supplication before the king, we need you to go in and to do something about this, we can't sit on the sidelines for this one, Esther, Uh, we've got to do something. And so he's communicating this message, verse number nine. And Hatak came and told Esther, uh, the words of Mordecai. And so uh, Hatak, he's just this messenger kind of going back and forth. And he had a very important job, a very important assignment to uh, communicate the message clearly, accurately, uh, precisely. A, loss uh, a lot could have been lost in translation over this, but Hatak took his assignment uh, uh, seriously. Uh, several years ago, I was preaching uh, in a different country where I was preaching with a translator. And it's always interesting to preach with a translator because you'll kind of say something 
and you'll kind of pause, and then the translator will kind of uh, say something uh, after you'll kind of translate and repeat what you just said in a different language. And, and I was preaching, and I said something to the effect of, God cares about our holiness. And I kind of paused, and I looked, and I waited for the translator to say something, and he kind of reiterated that in Spanish. And then he started saying other things that I didn't say, and I could pick up on it. And he started saying, in Justin Bieber, Isalina Gomez. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't say any of those things. And he totally uh, misinterpreted the message. Uh, he did not uh, clearly interpret what I was saying. He just started saying his own thing. And I kind of just like, do you want me to sit down or do you want to keep going? And uh, uh, he did not clearly interpret the message. And here Haytack is, and he has a very important assignment, and he's communicating this, this message clearly. Notice verse number 10. And again... Esther spake back unto Haytack. And so I wonder now if this messenger, Haytack, is kind of getting a little tired of playing telephone, like I'm tired of kind of going back and forth. I wonder if he uh, started questioning uh, his assignment. Is this uh, really that big of a deal? And uh, he, he might have thought, hey, this isn't that important, but his assignment mattered far more than he knew that it mattered. Imagine if he did not clearly communicate those details. And God has a way of finding obscure people to do very important tasks. Sometimes it's not the monarch. It's the messenger that God wants to use for his glory. And I just want to tell you this morning that no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've been called to do, no matter what your assignment is, it matters far more than you realize that God has called you to it. And what you are doing matters. God has you there for a purpose. And so do it with all your might and do it for the glory of God. Here we see Esther and Mordecai. They're taking action. And here we see Haytack. He is now going back and forth, and he is delivering uh, faithfully the message that God uh, has given, or that Mordecai has given uh, to him, and that Esther has given to him. Notice verse number 11. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, uh, next part, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called uh, to come in unto the king these 30 days. And so uh, Esther is like, hey, Mordecai, just in case you forgot kind of custom in Persia, just in case you kind of forgot what the law is to go before the king, uh, you can't do that. And if I go before the king, and I haven't been called for 30 days, and if I go before the king without being called, I'm going to be put to death. And so just in case you forgot about that, let me remind you about that little detail, because I think it's kind of important right now that I could die doing this. And uh, in fact, there's been some archaeological digs that have uh, that taken place in Persia where uh, this could have happened, and uh, there's been some uh, murals. I think we have a picture of one of them. And it's hard to tell, but you see a, a Persian king sitting on the throne, and then there's guards behind him, and it kind of cuts it off, but uh, they are holding large axes. And it's kind of symbolic of just saying, hey, if you come at the wrong time, um, you're not going to end well. And so Esther was saying to, uh, to Mordecai, hey, this is, this is not going to be easy. I don't know if I can do this. And what she starts doing is she starts excusing herself a little bit. And how often are we just like Esther? I would do what God wants me to do, but man, I could get in some trouble. If I stood up for my faith at work, someone might tell me to be quiet. If I stood up for what I believe, someone might uh, not be nice to me, and I could get in a little bit of trouble. And what we start doing is we start giving the excuses of why we can't follow God. We start excusing ourselves. Man, I, I don't know if I should do this because something bad might happen to me. But the Bible says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Don't forget there are sins of commission. Those are things we do. But don't forget there are sins of omission. Those are the things that we should do that we don't do. And so we have to do something, decide to take action. Here's Esther in this moment of decision. Should she go? Should she stay? Uh, what should she do? The Bible says in John 3, uh, 13, 17, if you know these things, then happy are ye if you do them. 
And so we've got to decide to take action. So what should we do? How can we redeem the time like the Bible tells us in Ephesians? Well, we've got to develop a burden. We've got to develop a burden for salvation and for people to be saved. But we've also got to take action. Here's the third, third step. We must depend entirely on God. Depend entirely on God. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. Notice verse number 12. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. And so now Mordecai is going to go back. He has another message for Esther. He says, I, know, I understand the danger. Then Mordecai commanded to Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. This is kind of almost a little implied threat here in verse 13. He's like, hey, uh, uh, Esther, don't forget, you're a Jew too. You're going to be in trouble too. And I don't know if Mordecai is saying, uh, if you don't do this, I'm going to tell people that you're a Jew. And uh, this is not going to end well for you either, uh, Esther. But in any case, he's saying, hey, this isn't going to end well for you either, Esther. And so uh, consider that as you're making this decision. You're a Jew too. And uh, then in verse number 14, for if thou altogether uh, holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. And so what he says is this. If you don't do this, Esther, I believe that deliverance will come from another place. And what we see is Mordecai now is starting to develop a little bit of faith. He's saying, if you don't do this, I believe that deliverance will come. I believe that God can deliver his people with or without us. And we start to see Mordecai depending on God. Maybe he was remembering uh, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter number 12 that said, uh, and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so whatever the case was, now Mordecai all of a sudden has an expectation that deliverance will happen. All of a sudden he's starting to depend on something that's not himself. All of a sudden, we start to see a little bit of faith start to creep out in Mordecai saying, hey, I believe that deliverance will happen. Even if I don't understand how it's going to happen, I believe that God can deliver. And then in verse number 14, uh, next verse, uh, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And he says, maybe, Esther, God is calling you right now for this moment, for this opportunity. How many of you have ever missed out on a good opportunity? Can I see your hands? You missed out. I remember when I was in uh, sixth grade, uh, there was a police officer that died in our city, in our community, and uh, he was a very well-known police officer, and they had a very big funeral at our church for him, so much so that the governor uh, was going to come to that funeral, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so I was excited about that because, you know, I'm like, man, I want to I see the Terminator, right? I want to see Arnold, and, I, and this was my moment to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm going to meet the Terminator. And I asked my dad, I said, do you think I can meet him? He's going to be at our church. And my dad said, if you wake up and uh, if you're on time and come to my office, you, you can shake hands with him. You can get your picture with Arnold. And so I am ecstatic about this. Like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity meeting, meeting the Arnold, right? And meeting the Terminator. This is great. And so I remember I was really excited. I set my alarm and uh, my alarm went off the next morning and I uh, overslept my alarm. And I've never met Arnold Schwarzenegger. I missed out on my opportunity. And uh, we come uh, to this chapter and we see, hey, here's this great opportunity, Esther. Here's why God has placed you here. Don't miss out on this opportunity. So often God places opportunities in our path, but because of distraction, because of delay, because of other things, we miss out on the opportunities that God has for us. Let me just tell you this morning that uh, your neighbor is an opportunity. 
Your coworkers are opportunities to show the love of Christ and to share uh, the love of Christ with them. And so I want to encourage you, when God places an opportunity in your path to share the love of Christ and show the love of Christ, seize that opportunity. God might have you there for such a time as this. Timing is everything. And so we start to see that Mordecai is depending on God. I love what the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17. This would have been an encouraging uh, passage for uh, the Jews to recollect in, in a time like this. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. Hey, if you trust in another person, if you trust in yourself, that's not going to end well. That trusteth the man and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord, for he shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabit it. But watch this. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. And so you're not going to be blessed if you're trusting in man, if you're trusting yourself. But if you trust in the Lord, you will find blessings. You will be uh, blessed. <clears throat> trust in the Lord and whose hope uh, the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted. Everybody say planted. By the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Watch this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He says, don't trust your heart. Everyone says, follow your heart today. Just do, do whatever feels good. Follow your heart. Don't trust your heart. Your heart lies to you. Your feelings lie to you. You've got to trust something deeper than that. Your emotions come and go. Your heart changes all the time, but God's word abides forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> Jeremiah says, don't trust your heart. Don't trust yourself. Trust in the Lord. And here we see Mordecai. He's starting to understand this. You know what? If salvation doesn't come through you, Esther, I believe that somewhere salvation is coming. Somewhere deliverance is coming. He starts to depend on God. And so with the time that God has trusted to us today, do we trust him? Are we depending on him? Are we following our heart, doing whatever feels good, doing whatever culture tells us, doing what our friends and family tell us? Or are we listening and tuning in to the voice of God and depending on him? <clears throat> There's a fourth way that we can redeem the time that God has given us this morning. Number four, if you got one more in you, would you say amen? amen? Number four, we've got to determine to stand strong. Determine to stand strong. Esther responds with this uh, very inspirational speech, and uh, no doubt you've read this passage before, and uh, these are encouraging and inspiring <coughs> words from Esther. Notice verse 15. Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai with this answer. Uh, in this moment, Esther is going to make the right decision. She's going to seize the opportunity for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat or drink nor three days, night or day. And I will also... And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And I think it's interesting that if we're going to determine to stand strong, if we're going to stand strong in our convictions, we need to do what Esther did. What did she do? She requested for help. She said, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to go in and break the king's law, hey, the last queen that did that didn't end so well for her. If I do that, I need your help. I need you to pray for me. I need you to fast with me. I need you to be in this with me. See, sometimes if we're going to stand strong, it's not contingent upon how strong we are. It's contingent upon how much support we have. 
If we have a support system of, of followers of Jesus that are going to rally behind us and, and encourage us and edify us and provoke one another to love and to good works. And we are having a strong support system. And that's why we are so passionate about getting into a small group at Rock Hill. Because your small group is your support system. Your small group is like Esther saying, hey, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I need some prayer. I need some people to be in the trenches with me saying, hey, we've got your back. See, we cannot be successful in this thing called the Christian life without a support system. And you say, well, I don't feel like I have a support system. Welcome home. Rock Hill can be your place of support. Jesus can be your support. Hey, if you feel like you don't have that, do what Esther did. Request for it. Ask for some help. Ask for some prayer. Humble yourself and say, man, I need some help in this. And so she says, if I'm going to do this, Mordecai, you better tell all the people to be in this with me, praying for me, fasting for me. Hey, if God is going to bless Rock Hill Baptist Church, hey, I, I, I'm not too proud to say, pray for me. Hey, let's be in this together. It's not a one-man show. It's just not about the people that are up here on the stage. Hey, we're all in this together. We need to be iron sharpening iron and praying for one another and assisting one another and say, hey, I've got your back. You got my back. Hey, let's strive together for the faith of the gospel. <laughs> Esther says, man, I, I need some help. Will you pray for me? Will you fast with me? And she asks for help. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Hey, let's admonish one another. Let's exhort one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's challenge one another. Let's pray with one another. Let's, let's encourage each other. And so what did Esther do? She requested for help. But then she resolved her heart. And this is uh, the last section that we're going to see this morning. Next verse. And so will I go in unto the king. If you pray for me, if you've got my back, if you fast with me, I'm going to do this, which is not according to the law. You got to throw that in there one more time. Hey, uh, this is against, this is dangerous. And watch this. And if I perish, I perish. What did she do? She resolved her heart. She determined to stand strong. She said, you know what? I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to live out this calling. I'm going to do this because this is what God has called me to do. If I perish, I perish. This is unwavering commitment. Winston Churchill, he had a way with words and uh, rallying his people. And he said this during World War II. Death and sorrow will be, or, or during the war, uh, death and sorrow will be the companions of our journey. Uh, hardship, our garment. Uh, constancy, our valor. And our only shield. We must be united and we must be undaunted. We must be inflexible. And I love those words. And what was he saying? We've got to stand strong. We've got to be in this together. Uh, we can't do this on our own. Determined to stand strong. And here's what I want us to see today. We've got to have the, un, the kind of unwavering commitment to God's word that says, hey, no matter the cost, no matter the price, I'm going to determine to stand strong. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. If I perish, I perish. Let me encourage the men. Stand strong for your family. Stand strong for your children. Stand strong on the principles of God's word. Singles, stand strong for purity. Stand strong on integrity. Ladies, stand strong for your children. Stand strong for purity. Hey, let's stand strong uh, for biblical values. Let's stand strong in our country and in our culture. When everyone wants us to go a different direction, let's determine to stand strong. And having done all to stand, let's stand. Let's resolve our hearts. Let's request for help and say, you know what? No matter what comes at me, I'm going to determine to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to stand strong. 
So what can we do with the time that God has given us? Develop a burden. Decide to act. We've got to get out of that passive stage and determine to do something for God. Depend entirely on God and determine to stand strong. Now, I want to close with this because the moral of the story is not to be a hero like Esther. The moral of the story is not to be smart like Mordecai. The moral of the story is to see how God uh, uses imperfect people for his immaculate plan. That God wants to use people like us that, that, that aren't perfect, but that we want to surrender ourselves and allow God to work through us and in us. And Esther here is requested to be a mediator. She is a type of Christ in that sense, that she was requested to go before the king and, and to mediate on behalf of the people and to make supplication before the, before the king. And she was this type of mediator. And we know that there is a true and better mediator, that there is a great mediator that stands on our behalf. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And just as Esther offered uh, to give her life, just as she offered and said, if I perish, I perish, Jesus not only offered to give his life, but he actually did give his life for you and for me so that we could be delivered, so that we could experience salvation, so that we could have a home in heaven forever because he loves us that much. Jesus is our great meteor. And so Esther, once again, we're seeing this every week. Uh, she points us ahead uh, to a greater deliverer. His name is Jesus. King Xerxes was a failed king. He was an imperfect king. You couldn't even go into his presence. And Esther understood that. I can't go into his presence unless uh, he grants the golden scepter. You can't, you didn't have access to King Xerxes. But I'm thankful today that the Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we have unlimited access to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Anybody believe today that we have access to the God of heaven, to the great I am? We have access to him through Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. And this is great news for us today. Timing, it's everything. And when it comes to salvation, it's a matter of life and death. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, watch this, now is the accepted time. Everybody say time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And this morning, if you're here and you've never had a real relationship with Jesus, I would say today could be the day of salvation. Timing is everything. You're not here on accident. Maybe God brought you here today to say, hey, you need salvation. You need me in your life. You can't keep trusting in yourself. You can't keep trusting in what you know. You've got to trust completely in Jesus and Jesus alone. Timing is everything. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.